The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Three, two, one, and we are live. Welcome to the Self-Belief Chief Podcast, you wonderful people. You're here with David Holman. And if you've ever asked the question, am I good enough? Whether it's in your relationships or your performance or your career or in terms of your health, whatever it might be, then you're in the right place. We're not here to hype you up. We're here to give you strategies and techniques to help you transform your life in those areas. Ones that I've shared with the highest performers from Olympic athletes to business owners. So make sure to hit that subscribe button, share your favorite episodes, and remember, if you change today, today will change your life. Hello, Lucas. Thank you very, very much for joining me today. Um, so when I was looking through your your bio um, and sort of the, you know, the scale of the different things that you've done and the scope and the locations and all of this stuff, um, there's a lot for us to unpack. The first thing I really wanted to get to know about you, Lucas, was having sort of started in Argentina, what was it like growing up in Argentina in the 90s? What was that like? Well, the 90s was pretty much a good uh, period of time, I would say. Uh, but again, I mean, Argentina is my home. Uh, my family is there. Uh, I was pretty lucky because I, I had a good sporting family and uh, uh, I consider myself uh, uh, a lucky guy that, that I mean, from where I was living and uh, the experience that I had, the friends that I had. Um, so, yeah, it was a very, very happy experience. Um, uh, I know there's back home. There's lots of difficulties, especially in, in terms of economics and uh, uh, security. Uh, so, yeah, you do have you you get concerned or worried about what's happening. Uh, I was pretty lucky. I was not involved in any uh, very very heavy situation. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, very very good, I would say. And uh, I think it it also uh, made me the deeper than I am today. So I'm uh, grateful that uh, I've lived through through all that, and uh, I wouldn't change it. Yeah. And so off the back of that, you know, uh, we we probably find out that we've we're quite similar in terms of the stories that we have to, uh, starting from a kind of a sporting background. But you you started rugby at five. I mean, I didn't start my sporting career until, you know, twice, twice that. I, I don't know how someone gets into rugby at five. I wish I could have got into sports at a sooner age. How, how do you get started at five? I just, I, I can't rattle, I can't work that out in my in my mind. So what was that starting point that really got you hooked into rugby? Well, it's back home, it's more normal that you think, I would okay. say. Okay. So... It's usually uh, like big fans, or I don't know if I when I, when I get uh, I have a, a nine nine month uh, daughter, but if I if I had a boy, uh, I would probably take him at the same age, mm-hmm. um, and that's usually the case. It's usually your parents uh, taking you to rugby school, 
Uh, it was not my case though, because uh, my dad played basket, my mom played every single sport, and uh, but I think that's where it comes from. My my mom, uh, she just took me playing rugby because she thought it was a good idea for me to practice uh, team sports uh, as a learning process, as a grow up process. Also, because I was always very hyperactive, which I still am, and. Um, it's a good way to, to have your kids uh, spend some energy yeah, running around, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Get them tired. <laughs> yeah. So, my, I mean, my dad's massive, massively into rugby. Uh, he kept trying to he tried to get me started at an early age and I just couldn't get into it. It took me a little while, like years to really start to understand specifically what I was good at when it came to rugby. Um, but I just thought it's just, just, it's just not my, not my game, not my sport at all, but uh, eventually <laughs> I got into it. And so what I'm curious about when I speak with athletes, whether they're clients of mine or when I have conversations with them is the ones that continue it on for a little bit, they have a moment where they kind of go, ah, I'm actually quite good at this. This is a little bit more than a hobby now. This is something that I actually have a bit of talent for, but a bit of work into it. And they make a decision at that moment that, okay, it's got to go up a level now and I'm going to pursue this in a very serious way. Uh, I'm just curious what that moment might have looked like for you that kind of informed you going, actually, this might be something that's a bit more than just something I enjoy. I think I, mean, I was considered a good player since I was young. Especially my defense, um, but I don't think it came through that. Not actually realizing I was pretty pretty good that I could do bigger things. I think it came as uh, something that I was. It became my dream to actually become a professional rugby player uh, because I knew I wanted more. I. It's my rugby is my passion. One of my passions today. Um, I think when you have so much energy, that much passion about something uh, and you are a big competitor as I am, uh, you're kind of looking for something more. Uh, that something more, uh, the beginning was uh, getting better. Uh, after that was uh, playing for my, for the senior team at my club. And then, I mean, even that wasn't enough. So I wanted to become the best player. I wanted to become... Uh, regional player for my my country for my town for whatever and uh but my yeah my goal my objective was always uh, a step further um actually uh, becoming a professional athlete uh basically because i i wanted to live through that experience of just focusing on rugby and doing nothing else that was the um i would say the objective like uh, at least have one season where the only thing that you're doing is focusing on rugby, training, eating, sleeping, uh, everything just that in your head, you know? Mm. So, and uh, why? Because I also wanted to test what that felt, but also what that would bring uh, to myself as an athlete, uh, as a player. And so when I... There are many, you probably through your, as you were coming up through the ranks, you probably came across players that were better than you, just like I did as an athlete, who 
don't aren't able to make that jump into being a professional athlete. They might have had more talent or more skill. And you know what? You might have players that did better than you in your career that you had more skill and talent than that actually, but they had something else. There was something else that allowed them to make another step. So I'm just curious. And again, it's a sort of thing I think with lots of athletes and I often think with myself for you, what is it that you think makes the difference between someone who can play at a kind of an amateur level, let's call it, and someone who can play at a professional level? Obviously, skill and talent is obviously important. But what do you think really makes the difference for someone who can make that step up as a professional athlete? I think that first and foremost, uh, I think rugby, it's a beautiful sport because it allows anyone to, to have a, a, a position, a, a place at, at a team. Uh, that's one of the things I like the most about rugby, no matter if you're tall, you're short, you're big, you're small, uh, fat or thin, uh, quick or slow. There's always a spot that you can cover. There's mm. always the need for you at every single team. But that's the starting point. And then you need to actually get to that next level. And to make that jump, to make that big step, there's lots of things that need to come into mind. Uh, I have a couple of things that for me are very important or, or were always important. One is the uh, passion that, that you have into the sport, uh, into what you do, whatever it is. I mean, if you don't have that passion, that fire that uh, allows you to, uh, to make the efforts that you need to, to get there, um, I would say resilience, uh, it's great value to have. Um, being a competitor, uh, it allows you to just keep going, to, to have that, that thing fixed in your mind that can uh, keep you pushing. Because sometimes you think, I mean, I mean, we all wanted to quit or whatever we were doing at least a couple of times. Uh, but you need to be able to keep pushing. And um, I think mindset plays a very, very important role. I always say that, um, I say it for rugby, but I think it's for sports in general, um, maybe even for business or whatnot. It's 20% skills, yeah. but then 80% is mindset. Yeah. Uh, whatever happens here, it's what dominates. And if you, for any reason, are not good in your head, whatever that is, you will probably not make it there. Uh, if you don't have your things up there pretty defined, pretty clear of what you want to do, who do you want to become? Because mm. uh, that's what it is too. Uh, and I think setting those objectives, setting those, uh, those lines of where, of where you want to be uh, help a lot in who you, you become afterwards. Yeah. I, I, one of the things I say to people often is clarity brings things closer and people's clarity, people are very clear as of what they don't want. If I ask people what they want, what they'll usually say is I want to not feel this. I want this not to happen. And that's not really what you want. That's just avoid. No. That's just how you avoid pain. And that's why people struggle to find a compelling future or something that gives them passion because they're staring at something that they don't want as opposed to something they do want. I agree. 100%. I agree with you. That picture is, is, is really, really, really important. And you used uh, that sort of um, percentage balance. I totally agree with that in terms of 20% skill and 80% mindset. I'm just curious when people say give the, that sort of percentage, I often wonder, 
and I think about this sort of post Mike sporting career now, if we think it's 20% skill and 80% mindset psychology, do, should we have been spending 80% of our time working on our psychology? If you think of how many training sessions that one has to improve their skill and sharpen that, how much do we spend 80% of the time also working on our mindset? So I'm just curious for you, how much time outside of your sport did you work on sharpening your mind? No doubt the training helps with it, of course, as well, in terms that of that was, mindset. That was what I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, okay. for me, we train our minds 100% of our time. It, or, or that's how I see it, because whatever you're doing, there's some learning, some uh, something that you're teaching your mind or that you're not, or that you're um, wasting your time at, because uh, it could be both, both mm -hmm. things. But if you actually profit from the time that you're spending in whatever you're doing uh, to grow as a human being and actually uh, sharpen your mind, uh, get it ready. Because sometimes it's just a matter of getting your head into the game or just a matter of focus. Because how many times an excellent player who's uh, perfectly fit, perfectly trained, uh, fails because he's not focused mm -hmm. uh, and that's all it that's all in your head you know, whenever you're not ready to what's going to happen whenever you're not uh, 100% into it uh, you usually tend to have more risk of failing and uh, no matter how prepared you are and I think the training in general uh, it's actually training your mindset to, to get ready to where you are it's not just training your skills which of course you need to improve mm -hmm. um but it's usually how um you're going to overcome uh problems how you are going to react against the uh, things that they will be put in front of you to actually throw you back to mm -hmm. prevent you to getting to your goals and how are you going to overcome them because at the end of the day uh, sports business or life um they're all about that overcoming those obstacles and getting to where you want to be uh, i would say winning or succeeding um, which is just getting to uh, wherever you want to be or becoming the, the person that you want to become uh, it's not just beating someone else, quite the opposite. Yeah, and you, you, so you spoke about preparation. What does that half an hour before a game look like for you? So that moment, probably about half an hour before, I would guess you've probably finished the sort of the warm-up or whatever it might have been. You might be back in the changing rooms or whatever. I don't know, I don't know if that's the exact timing, but what is that half an hour for you in terms of your preparation? What does that look like? Actually, my game starts a lot before that time, okay. I would say. Yeah. I usually try to spend the whole day uh, into a mindset that allows me to get ready. Mm -hmm. And maybe that, that, that changes a lot, especially because of the time that we play. It, it, sometimes we play in the morning, sometimes we play in the afternoon or at night. And um, but for me, the good thing is to just sleep well, eat well, uh, put things into my favor. I would say so you need to be rested to have a good game okay rest well i mean nothing stops you from sleeping well mm -hmm. uh if you need to have energy you need to eat well okay let's have the best thing possible and i think 
that gives you also the confidence that you need to perform because you know you're putting the luck, like put the luck on your side. I mean, you can't just blame, oh, I was unlucky if you did everything to fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, if, you know what I mean? If, I don't know if I, if I went out last night, had 10 beers instead of uh, sleeping well, of course I'm going to do a shit game or the chances are that I'm going to suck at the next yeah. game. And uh, but if you at least do as much as you can, shit happens, and uh, we've all had very bad games, very bad actions, or whatever. Uh, but just try to reduce that risk as much as you can, and get as ready as you can to to avoid that. So uh, part of the thing in terms of that question, I, because preparation is something that I, I think is incredibly important because sort of to the point you were just making when you lose but you've prepared properly most people outside of sport think of it in terms of oh I, I hate the idea that I did everything and it wasn't enough in that moment whereas actually I think for athletes if you can really prepare efficiently and feel like you've really left everything on the table and you know you might not succeed or win but you've prepared proper, properly and therefore performed well enough then some days you don't win, but you also you kind of feel okay about it. And one of the stories that sticks out in my head was when I was younger playing rugby, so I was a, a scrum half. Um, we found out about four weeks before a particular game that we were playing this team with one particular player, I think we were 15, 16 at the time, who we were told was an exceptional player. And this was a quite this was a very strange thing at that age group that you would, you know, there were loads of good players, but we were being told there's this one player that's absolutely exceptional. And we started to prepare in the training sessions in the weeks ahead of it, despite the fact that we had games in the meantime, which made no sense to me at all. But this guy apparently was that good. So anyway, and so really sharpened. We had a, we had a plan, all of this stuff in place for this particular person. I prepared well on the morning because we'd really been, really sort of been built up in a particular, it's quite important game as well. And so I prepared properly and we get to this game and they point out who it is. They basically say, it's this guy, by the way. Uh, he was playing centre, I think, in that game. Anyway, uh, w- one of those players that sort of has, has hit puberty a bit earlier than everyone else as well, right? It's got a, got a beard way too early. Anyway, <laughs> so playing this game, and part of the, uh, part of the challenge, uh, part of the sort of game plan, not even really a game plan, was we had basically two of our set biggest centres as soon as he got the ball, it didn't matter if we created an overlap out wide. It would just be that they would be able to sort of make sure that um, the hit they got him down as quickly as possible. Anyway, got two centres. They tackle the hell out of him. And yet somehow he frees out one arm. And I've, I remember it so clearly. He throws a pass at the back of his hand, probably about 30 yards to wow. the winger in front of him not not to him but in front of him so he could run onto it and score in the corner and there was this sort of stunned silence in this game um that player turned out to be owen farrell oh well. and and uh, sort of made a bit more sense he was bit, he is exceptional <laughs> yeah so a bit later on it made a bit more sense but um but what was good was that game being built up so much we lost by about 10 points or something and yet a lot of us because we prepared so efficiently were perfectly fine with it we really did you know every other team got beaten by about 50 points and we prepared so efficiently and so well that actually we felt comfortable with okay we didn't win it but 
at least there wasn't something we couldn't have done elsewhere. It's just, he's exceptional. That's it. We did the right thing. And so my sort of sporting career continued and preparation, all these things are important, including injury prevention. One of the unfortunate things that we have in common is sort of knee injuries. Hmm. I've seen it's not a club that many people want to be a part of, but um, I've, I've had my fair share of them as well. That, that moment where you had yours, um, I don't know how serious it was, but Pretty what's hard. the, what's the initial thought process and sort of when you experienced it in the days after, what was that thought process initially like anyway? Pretty tough to be honest. Uh, it was a serious injury. I broke two ligaments. Uh, I think it's LCA and the intern ligament. Uh, so pretty much six to eight months uh, recovery after sur- surgery. If everything goes well, you'll be pretty good. But you know how it is. It's not always easy, especially for, I mean, I play winger. I need to run quick. Uh, yeah, sure. Serious knee injury at 25 might be... Uh, the end you never know uh, i remember on that game that i got injured um we had a, we had a doctor at our team that was pretty much we call him the butcher because <laughs> instead of a doctor he was like pretty much yeah keep going you know those kind of guys that always finds a way to keep you pushing um which i really liked about the guy honestly because no matter what happened you could always keep playing um and that day, when, when I went back down to the floor and I start, tried to, to stand up and uh, my knee was going everywhere, I called him straight away, get it strapped. What do you mean, get it strapped? Yeah, get it strapped. I need to keep going. He looks at my knee and he says, not this time. It's like, hmm. what the fuck? Not this time. Strap my knee. I, was, I, was not, I mean, it was, my mind was on the game. I was not asking, right? Just get it done quickly. And I think he said it for like three or four times, not this time, until I actually realized that he, he was serious this time, that there was no keep keep going, could, couldn't keep pushing. It was like a complete, uh, say, a wake-up call. Uh, something was wrong. Um, yeah, of course, after that, uh, getting all the, the scans and whatnot about what, what's happening, I knew it was broken that I had, I mean, at least... Uh, go through surgery and get uh, get it back. Um, and again, yeah, it was pretty, I would say, devastating. The year before, I was um, playing for our um, regional sevens team. We were champions. I was pretty confident that that year I was having a very good season. I could uh, could have been called for the 15s. Uh, regional championship again that came at the end of the season uh, roughly uh, I think we were five, five to ten games left before uh, that before we ended so it was the time when the, the championships uh, happened um, yeah and uh, one of the things that helped me a lot I would say uh, was to look ahead um, we already had the um, games for the next season, the dates and the games. I remember looking at the first game of next season. Was, we were playing against one of the best teams in Argentina. And um, 
I had, I think, one of the best coaches I, I could have. A uh, very, very, very nice guy who I really appreciate. And uh, I was pretty much one of the captains of the team. So, I, I mean, I played every single game. I was not... It's not because I'm not humble or whatnot, but uh, I'm not being selfish. But I was one of the guys that always played. Not, not a guy you put on the bench or you don't, you don't yeah. make... You know, you know. And uh, I remember going to the coach and telling him, hey, I'm, I mean, I, I need to get operated on uh, pretty soon. Uh, I know we are playing uh, this team for the first game. Uh, before that, we have exhibition games, uh, three friendly games as we, as we speak. Um, how many of those do you need me to play yeah. in order to put me on the first game, right? So I was just trying to get ready. And the guy looked at me and he said, if you want to play the first game, you need to play all, all three. <laughs> no way. I mean, give me a break. I started counting and um, actually the first uh, exhibition game was five months and one week out of my surgery. Oh, I was like, right. oh God. I mean, are you serious? You need to just at least let me skip one, first one. No, I'm sorry, but you need to, you need to play all three. So I don't know if I do think he did it at least a, a little bit on purpose. And maybe if I skipped one or two, he would have uh, given me a chance at least. Mm -hmm. But I actually thank him for uh, pushing me that hard because I think that completely changed my mindset at that time. And I knew I had five months and one week, mm -hmm. not a day, <laughs> not, a, not an extra day. And that got me into work right away. I remember the day of this, uh, before the surgery, I, I asked my surgeon, what do I need to do to, to make this quicker? And he said, I mean, if your knee heals, whenever it heals, minimum time is six months before you, I, I'll let you play. It's like, well, I need to play in five months, one week. Well, that won't happen. Okay. Uh, well, let's try. Let's go step by step and see how it goes. And, uh, uh, he gave me a couple of exercises to do as quickly as he, uh, as quickly as you can, he said. Okay. And as soon as the surgery ended, I was laying on the bed, dizzy and whatnot. The room was not ready yet. So I was laying on the hallway with a whole, you know, lots of other people. I remember, okay, this, this is time to start doing the exercises. Uh, so people stared at me because I was like putting my, my, my leg up and whatnot with, with all, all the stitches and everything. And when I told that story to my, my doctor, he looked at me, are you completely out of your mind? I mean, uh, you, you should have waited. I was like, you told me as quickly as you can. And for me, that was as quickly mm -hmm. as you can. I, I didn't have an extra hour. I didn't have an extra day. And that's what I was focusing on. And uh, I know there's hundreds of stories about that, but uh, it's all about what you are willing to do to get there, I think. Uh, again, there's no time to lose. Well, but what what things are you going to stop doing to actually to get you to the place you want to be? Because uh, you need to, to, to make the efforts. You need to uh, let things go to actually focus on what matters the most. And at that time, at least, that was my... So sole purpose and my whole focus was to get ready. 
and a bit of a good story, a good the good side of it. The first uh, exhibition game five weeks and one month, uh, five months and one week after the surgery, uh, I played for ten minutes. He didn't say how much, how long. He didn't specify. I always tell him, you you said play three games. So first game ten minutes, second game sixty, third game the whole game, and for the first season game I was ready. Oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> What uh, you, you you said it's about what you're willing to um, to put yourself through or go through, and it's 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 the other side of that injury, I guess, that I'm very curious about uh, talking about in a second. Because again, it is in those types of moments where you just make a decision. Most people go, "Oh, it's just this is how it is," and you go, "Well, no, you you have you don't get to control the events, but you get to control what they mean." Mm-hmm. And you get to make a decision as what does this moment mean when I go through this? What does this do for my life going forward? And what you've done, what you did post that seems fairly remarkable in lots of different areas. But before we talk about some of that stuff, I'm just curious in terms of you said what I was willing to go through. I mean, what what, what were you willing to go through in terms of the consequences? You know, how because the, the, I'm fully aware of the I'm fully aware of the risks that you were essentially taking by the process you were going through. But for lots of people listening who might not understand some of those risks and consequences, what consequences were you essentially risking and willing to to put yourself or, or um, what's the right way of saying it to potentially put yourself through at the hope that in you know you could turn this the right way. <sighs> I mean, in terms of consequences, I was very much guided by my, uh, by the doctors. But I do think that the consequences are not just physically, but mental. Mm, yeah. And in terms of uh, not just that, but um, your surroundings, your family, your friends. I mean, I remember, uh, I don't know, a couple of things, a couple of stories, but uh, one of them was my... Um, I, um, how do you say, physician, I think. Um, He told me, yeah, don't do this, uh, this sessions, because unless you do at least four hours a day, they don't change anything. So uh, I actually went, rented that thing, I did at least 10 hours a day. Uh, Wow. It's just, you know, I think you need to put it around your knee. It, it does nothing, but you need to be laying on a bed for 10 hours a day. There's no other, other things uh, to, yeah. to do. And uh, those are, I, mean, I, I think it's called, you can also tell it's like sacrifices. And my friends went out at night and had something to drink. Again, uh, I don't know. I said, what are you willing to do to get there? And one of the things I said, why not try, don't have anything to drink, mm-hmm. like not, not even a single beer for at least five months and one week to get ready to try and get to that point. So and since that date in 2014, I, I've not, I don't drink anymore. I mean, because oh, wow. okay. I don't know if it was that, but it worked. Mm. So why not keep doing it? Yeah, uh, it's hard to tell what was the turning point, what uh, made the whole difference. 
but I think that everything as a whole did. It's not just one thing that uh, it's going to make make it up for everything else. Mm -hmm. It's actually what are you willing to sacrifice? What are you going to do um, to do it? Uh, I was at that moment. I was studying. I was working. Uh, I had to kind of pull it slow on both because uh, I was spending at least uh, five hours every single day with my physician to get ready. Uh, if you add up that to the 10 hours of the other thing that I was doing, there's not much time left. Right. Uh, again, my, my girlfriend at that time, my wife today, uh, I probably not spend as much time as I would with her. Uh, same with my friends. Uh, same at school, at university, same at work. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so much you can do in 24 hours. And uh, <laughs> unluckily for us, I still don't know a way to make days longer. I would like to, because there's yeah. always too much, so much to do. Uh, but again, it's how you take advantage of that time. What are your priorities and what do you sacrifice because at the end of the day you're always sacrificing something um you sacrifice quite often there i can think of times in when i was playing where it, you'd call you'd use the word sacrifice because that's essentially what you're doing but it didn't for me it didn't feel like a sacrifice it really didn't i knew i was technically sacrificing things that i would otherwise be doing but it didn't feel like a sacrifice because i was so I had complete certainty that what was required was the right thing to be doing. And essentially that's just to be totally brutally honest, that's how I wanted to spend my time. You know, yeah. I could, I could have done the other thing, but that, technically that's what I wanted to do. Just yeah, curious I couldn't you, agree did, more. Did it feel like a sacrifice at the time? No, not at no, all. Yeah. yeah. But again, we come back to that uh, mindset, to that passion that you need to have. Yeah. That's it. To actually follow that dream, have a dream, and it's not, again, one of the things that you said before, that, uh, I mean, that keeps turning on my head. It's not what you don't want to do. It's what do you want to do? Who mm -hmm. do you want to become? And when you got that question answered, I think everything is easy because you know where you're going. And then it's not a sacrifice anymore. That's true. Uh, it's something that you need to do. Mm -hmm. And you just do it. And you actually uh, spend a great time doing it. If you yeah. are smart enough, you actually enjoy a lot uh, what you're doing. Absolutely. And so, and looking at, therefore, where your career went, both in terms of your rugby, but then for someone who comes across or um, reading about you, an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable laser-like focus, single-minded ability that if you want to switch that on, you can do, to then start being able to pursue things outside of rugby. I find really interesting and knowing probably similar that making that type of transition in your case, still doing both at the same time. But in my case, that transition can be very, very challenging to, to put sports on the either um, uh, on the back burner or stop it at all. Um, making that transition so, uh, mentally is, is a real challenge for a lot of people especially if someone has just their whole life had a laser-like focus and passion for one thing. The idea that you could be passionate about something else seems completely ridiculous. And then for whatever reason, you do find those things. 
And it is true with everyone that we do, I think we do have multiple passions in life and it, it can, it can feel quite, it can feel quite sad or lonely at points when you feel like you've just got one passion and therefore only one group of people can possibly understand you. You start to have multiple passions. It's like, actually, I've got these different sides of me that really do have different abilities and different skills. So I'm just curious as you could share for us a little bit, how you, you know, in terms of the stuff with, um, how you met, um, what was his name, Dom, from uh, from Unicorn, and how you started branching out and finding this new passion, what that was like when you started to find this other side of, without it sounding a bit too um, cliche, started to find this other side of you, and started to find these other interests, and started to find this other stuff that you had a, you could bring some of that athletic mindset to, rather than saying, you know, that's a separate thing, is actually I've got a lot of skills that I've learned, and I can now utilize them in a different space. What was that transition like? How did you start it? How did you find this passion for something else? I do think it comes uh, with who I am also, because I do, I've always been hyperactive. I've always uh, been a, a very a competitor myself and I always want more. And uh, again, when I wanted to become a professional player and do that, just that, I did it. But then at one point in time, it was not enough. Yeah. Uh, so I, while I was playing, I've also started a career online. Uh, why? Because I wanted something, something more, something extra. Uh, at one point in time, when I finished that, I asked myself, okay, what are we going to do next? Um, yes, you can keep playing rugby. Uh, but what, at one point in time, I want something more. I want to do something extra. That's how I came to Dom and uh, how I met him and uh, was fascinated about this whole business startup world that he, he's been into for the last 25 to 28 years. And uh, which I, I mean, I love and it, it became a passion of my own. And um, I think it always was because I was an entrepreneur myself um, since I can remember. With little things at the beginning, uh, I had a um, food catering myself when I was 18, uh, had for quite a long period of time. Uh, I founded a, a shoe company uh, back in Argentina with my wife. You know, I've always been uh, into the business world and always wanted to do something more. Uh, but this came up and um, it was an adventure, I, I call it, because... I think that's what it is to actually um, do both things at the same time and jingle around uh, around them and um, being able to, I think it's also an opportunity to be, to be able to do both things at the same time and actually get ready to, whenever you end your career, as you said, have that transition a bit smoother, yes. a bit easier. Because yeah. again, how many people actually found their passion uh, not many. Yeah. And uh, I think that's one of the most, I mean, probably the most important thing to do is actually find what you love to do because it's a lot easier to do that and not just struggle and have like that, uh, being forced to do something that you don't like. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that's why I think it's a great opportunity to be doing both things at the same time. And um, actually, I enjoy it a lot. And I think I'm um, very lucky to be in this position and uh um yeah and we're doing great things we're doing 
so many things. Well, I'd love to know what they what they are. So what what are the current things that you're? I would learning? love to. Like first and foremost, with um, we at Unicorn, uh, we are a, a startup incubator accelerator. So that gives you like the big picture. Yeah. And then, uh, for instance, we took in the rugby club as one of the startups we work with. Even mm. though it's 118 years old, for us, we see it as one of our clients. Why? Because they, they, they all have the same problems uh, in terms of uh, image, in terms of branding, in terms of monetization, in terms of what they're doing, what they're offering, the, the organization, the administration, finance, investors, you name it. I mean, and then we started uh, fixing those problems, finding solutions. Um, we started, I would say, at the bottom of the line with uh, creating an actual brand that people can identify themselves with, not just a rugby club, but actually a brand. Mm -hmm. uh, and for that, you need to have a very uh, catchy logo that everyone likes. Uh, that was our one of our first, first steps. Uh, we created a website. Uh, we are a very small club, I would say, into the fifth division in France today. But uh, if you go into our website, you don't see the difference between ourselves and a pro club. I see. And yeah. that's the idea. Yeah. It is to actually show that we can look and do things as a, a pro club because there's no limit in terms of technology to, to be able to do so. In fact, we took in the social media, I would say, between nine and 12 months ago. We, we had around 1,500 followers on Facebook. Today, we are over 140K. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, and, and again... Over, how, long, how quickly was that growth, sorry? How long did it take you? Nine months, wow. roughly. Wow. But why? Because uh, we know how to do it, and we, we need to be at that position. That's, what, that's who we want to become. And um, I think we are currently number five or six uh, in terms of rugby clubs in France. Wow, okay. Uh, even though we are in fifth division yeah. in a very small town. Uh, and then we, we, we started out like that and we started growing a lot more into uh, merchandise processes, um, monetization process, uh, sponsorship, uh, things we develop for our, our team. Uh, things we put in place, uh, like for instance, uh, every every club needs a budget, right? Right. So, it, how do you get that budget? We asked the, the former president, how I mean, who who is in charge of getting that? Well, you have a sales force or something. Oh no, not really. We we're shocked. I mean, how yeah. how are you going to look for that budget? Oh, sometimes it, it comes to us. We. Whenever I see one of, one of my clients, I ask him to jump in. But that, that, that's cool. I mean, it was very good for that time. But, it, but yeah, I mean, you need to set up a strategy. You need to be selling something. You need to be, you need to have people selling that, what you're selling. Because if not, I mean, you're not going to get very far. And uh, so we put that all that into place. And the whole idea was to actually bring this um, as a SaaS um, for other teams. So the way we work, we always um, have our model first. We try things first before we tell anyone else to do them. We do think that um, leading by example is one of the most powerful things you can do. 
So that's, I mean, we we try to say what we preach, preach what we say, mm-hmm. uh, and not just say it because we think it is the good option. Because I mean, in terms of trust and confidence, uh, it's important to actually do what you say you do. And then this is how we planned it out. And it came a lot quicker than um, we were expecting. But um, clubs from all around and from all sports are actually contacting us and asking us, how did you do it? How can we do the same mm-hmm. as you did? And, uh, and that was our whole purpose with Solar Rugby, to actually, um, it's our proof of concept for a much larger company that we funded already two weeks ago, uh, two or three weeks ago. Um, it's called Challenger X. Um, and uh, it's, I mean, it's objectives of the company are, are very insane, I would say, because we are inviting every people to join, uh, every club to join. Um, we are in a position today that we can uh, bring in 100 clubs right away. Right, okay. Um, we are actually trying to defeat the, the records into uh, getting a company listed in London. Um, we expect to be listed by the 15th of July uh, in the Acris Exchange in London. Mm-hmm. Um, that's eight weeks since we funded the company. So it's wow. pretty damn challenging. Uh, that's why the name too. And um, but yeah, it's a great adventure again. And um, the uh, cherry on the top on that company is that we are in a position today that we can actually mint a social token for whatever club we decide to in 10 to 15 minutes. We've we, we are in a position today to get that done. And we've done it already with Sarla Rugby. Uh, we've minted Sarla. We have not yet uh, commercialized it just because we are waiting for the right time. But that, again, is something that we are very much into, the DeFi world, the decentralized finance world. Mm-hmm. And we believe that uh, social tokens are going to help clubs uh, so many different things in terms of monetization, in terms of engaging their, their, their fans, in terms of building those communities that will um, just make them stronger and help them to take their club into the next level. Well, that, that's um, what I was going to ask. So presumably these clubs come to you because they want to grow their profits. Ultimately, that's that's the that's what they've got going on in their head when they reach out to you. I was going to ask you what your, you know, often with, you know, for example, when I work with a client, I give them what they want and then I'll give them what they need. Right. So that they, this is what they've asked for. So I'll give them that. And then there's this other thing over here that when we have a discussion, I get to know them better that I realize they actually need. I can give them that as well. And so but from your point of view, the, the, the business, the, the rugby club, they want to make profits. I was going to ask you, what is it that you're hoping for? It sounds like what you said is beyond the profits. Ultimately, it's that community, but it's that they can scale that ladder in terms of that your um, French rugby pyramid. And that they can actually climb through the rankings, which I think is just an incredible thing, really, if that's essentially what you've got going on in your head. But just in terms of communities, I know what uh, a club does for a town or a city in England. What does it do in France or Argentina? What does it do to have a sports team that's doing well? What does it do for that town or city in France? 
well, it's not just the town or the city, because in our case, we'd like to call ourselves the a club that's uh, worldwide. Mm-hmm. We we have signed uh, today 62 uh, broadcast TV OTTA streaming agreements all over the world. Because wow. we'd like to bring rugby to to the whole world. Uh, we did one research in the States um, asking how many people uh, follow rugby because uh, we were about to, to take this project, right? And then this, they told us, I'm sorry to tell you, but uh, only 12% of the people in here know rugby rules. Yeah. And uh, after two seconds, we, we actually say, okay, that, that's uh, an even better uh, reply. The guys looked at us like, <laughs> oh, what do you mean? Like, yes, because it's not the 12% that I'm interested on. It's the 80, 80% yeah. Yeah. That's, that's missing. So I'm, I'm willing to take rugby to those people uh, by the train of solo rugby. So by the example of solo rugby, I'm bringing it to them. I'm showing them what rugby is. We are actually, we have a, an inside team um, in here that's um, creating videos, photos, pictures of tutorials, uh, explanations, telling people the rules, telling people what rugby is, and they can identify right away and they i mean those people that you've actually took rugby to their house uh they become real fans Mm -hmm. and then it's what you give your fans what you can offer them that keeps them engaged and that's why our games our team that we've recruited like 25 people for this year of very high level uh because again of course we one of our main objectives is to, be, to to get into the pro leagues. That's uh, second division in France uh, in the next uh, five to seven years. Mm-hmm. But in order to get there, it's not just an objective and, uh, okay, yeah, this is where we want to be. No, we need to give ourselves the means to yeah. get there. Yeah. And all that comes through Challenger X in terms of um, getting ourselves ready. And it's good because and the last bit you just said is good because obviously part of that objective is, you know, you want to get to division two. You want to stay there you know a lot of mm-hmm. clubs can can create a plan make an objective and okay we've got some good players this year and maybe we can't afford the salaries or we haven't got the foundations we actually haven't got the right stadium size we haven't got um the, the fan base to bring in the revenue at this level all of that type of stuff and then they get there and it actually brings the whole club down it's sort of a gift yeah. and a curse isn't it you get to that level and all of a sudden it can't you know get sort of bankrupt out of it but it's, it sounds great in terms of that pro- exactly what you said which is the foundations have to be laid so yep. that it's not just that how get there as quickly as possible it's actually more importantly can we get there and sustain it can we live yeah. can we thrive as in a- fact in fact this year because of covid and whatnot um they're changing again the rules uh, here in france the divisions they they offered us to go up one division uh, even though there, there were no games, like uh, just on paper, and we refused. Why? Uh, first and foremost, I would say, because it's not fun to go up on paper. Uh, yeah. I would like to show that we are ready to go up on pitch. Uh, and then also, because that also allows us to keep getting ready and not just bouncing up and down, because it's definitely not, not what we want to do. Yeah. Do uh, just out of interest, slight tangent, out of interest, are you 
working with esports teams is that something is that like a because that whole world which is starting to be sort of very new to me and i'm we're sort of a similar age I, I, i'm sure it's sort of in some ways it's sort of almost the generation just behind us where it's like a tidal wave esports and just just curious whether that's a sort of market that you're also tapping into <laughs> in fact yes uh We've funded a company that's uh, an esports platform uh, six months ago. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, we are very much into esports too. It's called formation.gg. Uh, it's an esports platform basically where you can just uh, play tournaments in every single game, uh, in every single part of the world. Uh -huh. And uh, it's mainly focused on, I would say, uh, non professional. Again, that's the target that we are looking for because we do believe there's a lot of a lack of um, tools on that world uh, professional sector is pretty much covered there's games there's tournaments every single time but whenever you're a more casual gamer but you you do want to compete there's nowhere to go and that's why we brought formation in in terms of just getting that to the people uh i think we have in around 30k players today wow. uh after six months yeah i mean uh, and there's a whole different debate again another it would be another tangent but um in terms of esports players treating themselves like athletes that actually they get all the basics right in terms of sleep in terms of diet all those things where it's it's different in terms of the physicality of course it is but there's, there's, it's actually, I'm starting to see more and more that you, you do have to treat yourself like an athlete in order to sharpen your focus, be well rested, have the energy requirements. Um, and you said, as you sort of pointed out, that that gap between people who do professional where almost everything is covered and then there's a big drop off between everyone else who wants to get involved. Yeah. But yeah, don't necessarily have the tools to know how to get involved. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. So um, I do I do think they are athletes. Athletes. I mean, there's yeah. no, yeah. They, they do have uh, every professional team has a physiotherapist right now. Right. Okay. You know how many um, wrist injuries do those guys have? I'm really? serious. Yeah. Uh, it's whenever well, I like read carpal, an article, like carpal tunnel and stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah. Imagine you're playing games for 12 hours in a row. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you were running for 12 hours, yeah. at the end of the day, your, your ankles and knees will suffer. Well, this is the same thing. Imagine your back sitting at a chair for yeah. you know how long. You know, I mean, I do think it's I mean it's not tough in the terms of uh, cardio exercise, but it, you need to get ready. Yeah. And those guys, I mean, the, the time they have to react. I've read some articles about that, and yeah, it's amazing because they do have milliseconds to yeah, sure. actually do actions and coordination between so many different things that they can do at the same time and get the right uh, option, the right decision. So I think those people will probably be very good decision makers because they need to react in like just very, very quick. It's, it's, a, it's a, strange, a strange new world to me when I'd, I'd quite like to get involved in it myself, actually, because I think, um, you know, having worked with athletes in terms of the psychology of helping athletes, I think with esports gamers, as it, to the point you made, that ability in terms of decision making and the speed of thought is everything at that in that type of uh, area. I think the psychology is is really important as well. Yeah, um, 
Lucas, I really enjoyed this conversation. I wanted to ask you one more question and then um, make sure that uh, people sort of know where to, to find you and find out more about uh, Unicorn and, and the other work that you've got going on as well in Challenger X. The question I wanted to leave you with was when you started out, whether it's as a as a athlete in terms of being a rugby player or whether it's to do with the work that um sort of dedicated to now when you started you would have had a picture in your mind of how you wanted it to look and however many years decades later first question is i'd like to know does it look anything like that picture or does it look completely different whether it's better, whether it's you know, worse or whatever it might be. Does it look similar to the picture when you started out of what you wanted it to look like? And the second question will be in terms of the footprints or footsteps that you'd like to leave for other people going forward, what do they look like? So first question, does it look like you thought it was going to look when you sort of started out on whatever, however long this journey has felt for you? No, I think... I don't set up those pictures like in uh, in stone. I don't know how to say it, but for me, the picture is more like, uh, you know, when you are painting, so it's just a whiteboard at the beginning, then you start drawing, you start painting, painting it out and uh, you change it a hundred times. And for me, that picture is more like that. And we build it every day. We... We nourish it every day. We it's like a plant. You just you put some water in. You, you take care of it, and that's that picture. I mean, I don't think it never looks uh, like something. It always looks like today, and this is where I am today. Of course, I want to be in a certain position next, but that position, it's more. I don't think myself at least i don't i don't i'm not saying this is for everyone right but don't see myself okay in five years i want to be this place living mm -hmm. like this have this amount of uh, children dog such a house no i want to it's more general general view and i think it's a more i would say uh, sane uh experience because then yeah, imagine you want to be, um, I don't know, you want to have two kids in five years and you have three. Well, wouldn't that be a good thing? Mm. Yes, I think it, it does, right? But your head, you, you, your picture was too, so it's not the same. So you're, you're never going to be happy about that if yeah. that's the case. Mm -hmm. At least that's how I feel. And I think it's very personal, but I do like to, give myself a more option thing, a more uh, wider variety. I do have objectives, of course, and they, they are specific on one side, but not that the picture is not painted yet. It's almost like having a goal or objective, but multiple ways of getting to it, right? It doesn't have to be like the pictures, this only one picture. It's, it could, could happen in lots of different ways. So it's quite yeah. fluid. Okay, that's awesome. Because it's... Because it's very easy to get frustrated if you do it that yeah, way. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. And then your second question. So the second part in terms of the footprint, what are the footprints you want to leave for other yeah. people? Well, I do think there's two sides of that coin, which I do like and I do enjoy very much. First, I would say it's uh, on sports, on rugby. 
uh, whenever I have the chance, whenever I can, I'd like to go train the young people. I do that every single time I go home because back in Argentina, there are no uh, professional coaches or almost none. It's always someone giving up some of his time to teach. And that's what I've lived through for 25 years when I was playing rugby. And uh, I think I've learned so much through that that I would like to give back mm -hmm. some of all that uh, care that I was given when I was a kid. And even till I was 25, when I was playing back in Argentina. So whenever I have the chance, I, I really enjoy going to, to my club and help as much as I can, uh, spend as much time as I can with the kids, uh, try to, like, I don't know, even if it's just a conversation about life, right? I mean, it doesn't need to be real coaching, but I think it's just share, sharing your experience for them to have at least another vision of the, of the story that they can use or not. They can take bits and pieces, just build their own journey. But uh, I usually try to tell them that there's whatever they have in mind, they can make it. They, that's one of the things I like to do. Like it, it does sound cliche follow your dreams but uh do it <laughs> and then on the business side uh, i try to to do the same because uh uh people have done it for me um i do feel dom is my mentor and i learn every single day from him but i also have my own team inside which i try to take care of and uh, i try to motivate i try to um say teach them but actually try to um, support them in whatever they need I try to be there when 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 they need me and try to actually um just show them what they've shown me and uh it's like a give and take back right you and i think um it's an important thing to do and that's how we learn and they say that whenever you are able to teach someone something it's only that there that you uh, really know what you're talking about. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. Um, Lucas, where can people find out a bit more about Challenger X and what else you've got going on? Sure. Uh, so for Challenger X, just go to the website. It's challengerx.io. And uh, well, follow, be, be ready because we are going to be listed on the Acris Exchange pretty soon. And then if you want to contact me uh, personally, I would say the best way is through LinkedIn, uh, just Lucas Caneda, uh, it's L-U-C-A-S-C-A-N-E-D-A. -E uh, just look me up and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm open to, to whatever you guys need. Lucas, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, David. If you enjoyed this episode and are enjoying the podcast, make sure to subscribe to keep up to date with the latest episodes. And if you would like a free copy of my book, very simple, leave a review on iTunes and email selfbeliefchief at gmail.com with the headline free book and we'll make sure to send you an audio copy of the book. Otherwise, we'll speak to you next time.